Comic Scene, the podcast, episode 7, Classic and Contemporary Review. Today I'm joined by uh, Grace Wright and Rachel Davis. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for having us. I wonder if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently I'm a master's student at the University of Dundee with the comics and graphic novels. Um, I mean, I've been a comics lover from a young age. I, you know, grew up on Sailor Moon. I had a brief stint as a comics creator from like ages six to seven. Did not work out. More on the academic side now. Um, and I had several wonderful professors uh, at Williams College um, Peter Murphy, Christopher Bolton, uh, who kind of re-inspired this love in me um, and sort of gave me this idea that this is something I could do with my life that I could, you know, spend all my hours with. Um, And so between here and now, I worked at Parnassus Books in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, And I was kind of known as the sort of guardian of our small comic section. (laughs) You know, it's harder in an independent bookstore to have, you know, the scope of a comics um, shop proper, but they really sort of supported my love and my sort of guardianship of that section. And I, you know, I spent four wonderful years there and I came to the point where I was sort of like, comics is my passion. It's what I want to do with my life. Um, and so I like, I was like, okay, I'm going to find the best program to, to go study this. And uh, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Um, I was born and raised on Long Island, which is, you know, Long Island is very cloistered, very trapped. And I found my escape every Sunday going to the um, card store where I would get a Snapple fruit punch and the latest Betty and Veronica digest. And it just gave me these wonderful fantasies of what being a high school will be like. I'll wear high heels and all of these boys will be available. And that so never happened. <laughs> but I eventually went to Hofstra University on Long Island. And I was the person that could never decide on a major. I loved the humanities, all of the social sciences. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up getting a woman's studies degree because I can go into a little bit of everything. And then I saw this one woman's studies course called Women and Celebrities. And I was like, oh, my God, how exciting. I want to take this course. Oh, it's an independent study. I have no idea what I want to talk about. I just really like the title. (laughs) And so I just was walking from class one day after my first meeting and being able to tell my professor, like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life for this program. And I just remembered Betty and Veronica. And I was like, this totally can't be a possibility. I emailed her that day. She's like, yes, there is this thing called comic studies. And I was like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) And ever since then, I've just completely found my passion and my life. I ended up being the section, co-section head editor of independent comics at comicsverse.com, where I helped edit comics. I worked on podcasts. I interviewed creators. And it just, being able to find comics introduced me to my tribe and a sense of belonging. And eventually that led me all the way out of Long Island to Dundee, Scotland. The world (laughs) is real. (laughs) Yeah, so what would you make of Dundee? Both of you coming in from from America, what would you make of Dundee? Oh my gosh. Well, so I'm a a small town girl. I'm from Nashville, but I grew up in the country. And so (laughs) Dundee is like my perfect mixture of sort of like city but on the smaller side yeah it's gorgeous i think i think you'll agree with me on this though that we you said we found our tribe and we found this program full of people that loved the things we loved introduced us to new things we loved and i don't think it's worn off yet being surrounded by that kind of community and just how like diverse our classes we have people from greece we have people from hong kong we have people from south africa it's like you were real. You were reading comics, too. You're just as crazy about this, and you have the same concerns about using the comics medium to talk about, like, identity politics mm-hmm. and a sense of belonging and where we are in the world. Like, you care about this, too, and you're real. Mm-hmm. Like, this farly, this exceeded my wildest dreams, this program. Just the people, the location, being in Scotland, just everything about this. Like, every day I wake up, and it's like, I'm here <laughs> in every sense of that word. Great. Sounds good. (laughs) I wouldn't mind doing it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, Okay. uh, Enough about plugging the course. (laughs) It's not what this is about. It's not about that fiber later. Yeah. Yeah. It's not what this is about. We promised that we were not paid to make those. No, I know. (laughs) We're open to it, but. I'm going to cut this bit out. (laughs) 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 Okay. uh, So, what we're really here to talk about today is um, I've asked you to bring along. classic and a contemporary comic mm-hmm. stroke graphic novel of your choice. 
So, Grace, I think we'll start with you. And could you start with your classic choice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this is my plug for the fabulousness of independent bookstores, because I found this actually right before I came to this course. And it is the only comic I brought with me because I couldn't bear to leave it at home. (laughs) Um, So it is a collection by Abrams Comics Art. Um, It's Will Eisner's sort of best of of PS Magazine. Um, And this is something he did for the U.S. Army Starting in 1951, it was kind of a continuation of something he'd done when he was drafted uh, for World War II called Army Motors. Um, But it's basically this magazine of comic art explaining uh, basic maintenance for Army vehicles and equipment, which sounds super boring. (laughs) And if it hadn't been Will Eisner on the cover, I would have been like, okay, great. I love love education through comics. Um, But he brings this sort of the sort of quintessential Will Eisner sort of life to this collection. Um, The introduction is really fascinating. There's uh, sort of his wife and then uh, someone from the U.S. Army and then uh, Eddie Campbell of From Hell fame um, sort of talking about this collection. Uh, And specifically, I want to talk about uh, issue or volume one, issue one where he has this fabulous story, and I'll show y'all, about sort of engine maintenance, where (laughs) this guy is sort of trying to jumpstart his Jeep. And, uh, you know, his his sort of title, or one of the quintessential characters, uh, Joe Dope, is like, no, you don't don't do it like that. You have to do it properly. You have to do this and that. And they shrink down and go into the engine. Oh, my gosh. I am not compelled by this content, but I am compelled by it because of Eisner. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then then after, like, four pages of engine maintenance, uh, the guy, he's like, this is in perfect running order. I don't understand what's happening. And the original guy's like, oh, it's, it's in perfect running order. I was just trying to steal the bumper off the front. <laughs> Bye. Twisting the tail. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like this this fantastic sort of like punchline comic mm. that has gone over three pages about engine maintenance. Yeah. yeah. Actually, what I love about it is the, the, the toned actual images you yeah. know, yeah. Of, of the actual components. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yes. It's a, re, a unique kind of style from, from, from its time, actually. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's something that he went... You know, he invested so much of his time on, um, and it really starts up sort of at the end of the golden age when superheroes are sort of experiencing their recession. Um, and he, Eisner sort of turned away from like his work on the spirit, which is, you know, I could talk to you for hours. We'll, we'll skip that. Um, and sort of came about, really became about um, sort of almost commercial comic art and using that to fill different gaps. And he would... Um, according to his wife, he would go into like day long meetings with, you know, this like board of directors involved with the U.S. Army sort of arguing this and that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great pages where he solicits uh, limericks what? from people actually in the army um, oh. to sort of talk about experiences or make up something funny. And then he illustrates them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are a little inappropriate. <laughs> it's fine. We'll just smooth right over that. Um when you think of war comics, especially like World War II, you don't think of like this Joe Dope character and you mm-hmm. don't visualize like him literally going to a black and white like automobile. It almost sounds like this Charlie Chaplin like in the clock tower, like fixing yeah. the machine kind of like magic to this. There's such like a sense of play for like such a dry material. It's so engaging to look at this. Yeah, exactly. the, the design of it, I think, is really interesting as well. So it's designed, you know, it's not mm-hmm. it's a comic that's been designed, you know, which is actually exactly. quite quite a rare thing and it's a, a design of its time obviously mm-hmm. but this it, it is something unique about it. i actually picked a, a copy of this up a couple of years ago at yeah. san diego comic con and the, it was purely the format of it that that caught my attention because mm-hmm. it's quite an unusual format you know the way it's been presented here but the original um uh, work as well is quite an unusual format in fact yeah. unique i would say you yeah know? well you can say that about a lot of his work um one of the things that really makes this special to me is, so he he was working on it from 1951 to 1971. Uh, it's still going, by the way, 700 plus issues. Really? Wow. Yeah, uh, the Army's kept it up. But, <laughs> um, but he's received a lot of criticism for continuing to do this during the Vietnam War, which mm. is obviously 
really contentious uh, part of American history. Um, and a lot of people sort of gave him a bit of guff, like, why are you getting involved in this? Why are you supporting what, you know, is something that's kind of terrible? And his response is always, I cared about the soldiers. I cared that they were in the situation, they were putting their lives in danger, and I was going to do what was in my power to make life better, safer, easier for them. Um, and I just, I love that about him, this sort of sense of honor. It's a very funny comic. You know, there's a lot of jokes and tongue-in-cheek, uh, but behind it was this man who was taking this very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, he had served, he actually went to Vietnam to do research during the war. And so this was obviously something that he was invested in. And I just, I love that. It sort of gives the comic a depth and a layer mm-hmm. um, that I just think is really special. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great it's a great choice. And it's a, it's a, it's a very unusual collection, you know, yeah. of work, you know, but there's, there's something something really appealing about it. there's a you know i'm just flicking through at the moment we yeah, will post yeah. we will post up some um some pages from this uh on the facebook page um so that you get a, a kind of sense of it you know yeah. so yeah so 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 basically i mean what kind of really drew you to, to this you know uh, over other choices i mean was it just um, that format or was it the yeah. content or both or I would say, I mean, you know, scanning the shelf, I saw Will Eisner, I saw something that I wasn't familiar with, and I was like, oh, I'll just have to flip through it. And I think, for me, opening up and flipping through it, um, just seeing the sort of dynamic level of art that he brings to it, mm-hmm. you, you can't really open it up to a page that, at least to me, seems boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really imported that expressiveness, um, the sort of, the colors are really vivid and wonderful, and he's even though he's doing something that in terms of content can seem a little bit dry um, in terms of the form. And I think this is maybe what grabbed me is that it almost sort of highlights how brilliant he was at form and composition and playing with Mm. this medium. Um, It does bear saying that he was helped by something like 15 unsung assistants. (laughs) So... You know, I feel like that's important to mention. His name is on everything. Um, but I think uh, what Eddie Campbell wrote was that it, it's almost more like a brand than necessarily just completely an artist's signature. Yeah. Um, so he did have he did have a fantastic team behind him. Uh, but I just there's the art. You flip through it and it's you can't look away. Um, I, I think I read like 10 pages in the bookstore because I couldn't stop reading about Jeep engine maintenance, <laughs> which is not something I thought yeah. I'd ever say. Um, it's yeah, I mean, it is. I, I've never seen anything like it personally. You know, uh, it reminds me why we appreciate Eisner, why we're still studying him today. Yeah. Because from the spirit to this to like a contract with God, he's yeah. always trying something different. He's mm. always going to try to give you something that's playful that you're not going to see anywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's very true. I mean, this is the way that. The pages are laid out, which is obviously what he's famous for. But, mm-hmm. but, but again, you know, there's some there's some very standardized grids in here. Yeah. There's a bit where where he goes for a more traditional approach, but then it's mixed up. There's some that I really like. There's a there's a strip uh, further on where there's there's kind of um, sort of flashbacks, and 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 uh, they're done with a, a pink and a and a blue line, and, and it really mm-hmm. it's a really unique visual uh, identity and visual style to to the the stories, if you want. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a great piece of work. Oh, the coloring is so beautiful, mm. too. Just yeah. how it's so vibrant and pops out, but it feels so organic for the piece, how it just works together. The colors complement each other. Oh. And, and the lettering as well. I mean, I'm mm. always a fan of, of, uh, of his lettering style. But again, it, it actually goes a bit beyond that, where it turns into that part at times you know, more graphic design. So the, mm-hmm. there's posters and there's uh, breakouts from the, the, the mm-hmm. panels that are much more, there's much more of a design, you know, feel designed feel to this yeah. than there is um some some even some of his other some of his spirit work is more about the visual design not the the graphic design right yeah. well he goes back and forth between so many formats you see you know there's sort of like a almost it feels like a traditional newspaper format or some of them are like posters some of them are image images with that the text underneath mm-hmm. um 
-hmm. And it just shows a versatility that doesn't feel disjointed, Mm -hmm. um, which harkens back to that design. It's he clearly knew what he was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there are some artists that, you know, even though he was starting to do some of this in the 50s, and so much has happened in comics since then, so much development, but it's still it's still relevant because he understood something essential about the medium, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. um, that sort of gave him this edge. Did you Have you ever seen anything beyond this collection of where it went after? I actually it? haven't. Right. Because um, I think that would be interesting to see what the right. legacy mm. is of this. Because you, know, you say it's still going. I'd love to see what it looks yeah, like. What yeah. <laughs> well, apparently every time he did an issue... Um, Somebody, somebody higher up would be like, "Well, do we, do we really need comics to teach this?" And <laughs> da, 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 da. and they would do tests for sort of understanding and comprehension. Mm-hmm. And overwhelmingly, <laughs> comics would sort of win as getting through to the soldiers, making an impression, right. yeah. um, sort of sticking in their memory, so that when they're actually faced with these situations. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, and that we do buy into that. You know, you're yeah. Dundee and, and a lot of our public information comics, and mm-hmm. I think there's something in that. But, but interestingly, in the, in the war comics, uh, certainly in in the UK, we have obviously in Dundee, we've got the Commando comics, which you guys yeah. probably are that aware of, but you are now, I imagine, yeah. but probably weren't before you came no. came into into Scotland. And and it's interesting that the, the format of those war comics. The size has become a bit of an issue over the years because it's a small digest mm-hmm. format, but that was that meant that lent itself to be quite accessible and easy to put in the pockets of people who were uh, in the army, mm. you know, which is obviously target audience, you yeah. know. Uh, and again, this is done, and I'm not sure what the original format is. It does look like maybe the original format was a more standard American um, <laughs> page layout, but the yeah. um, but the reprint here is done in a kind of sort of digest, almost like a handbook uh, form mm-hmm. format, you know. And again almost pocket size you can see that in someone's you know military fatigues or something you know you yeah, can see it in exactly. the pocket you know so there's something interesting about it the way that 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 um aiming exactly mm. for that target audience you know mm-hmm. yeah i almost got a copy a copy for um my brother but he he does more it for the military and so it was like this is probably a little bit like he's he's way beyond what this could help him with <laughs> Um, if he ever needs engine help, though, I mean, he has that story. Yeah, so really, exactly. <laughs> he he probably knows more than I ever will. <laughs> Bless his heart. He is he is one smart cookie. But uh, but it is a collection that I mean, just opened that page. It does span mm-hmm. a few, quite a few years. This collection. Yeah, so yeah. they kind of picked the best of the best of hits, um, and a lot of it was from the early years, like mm-hmm. the I think his best work. Um, there was kind of some suggestion that as it moved on, it sort of. You could tell a difference in the art, um, sort of the engagement. Um, and so I think that's kind of why he eventually was sort of like, all right, I'm done. Yeah. We're passing yeah. this off to different hands. I would really be fascinated to see issues from Afghanistan or Iraq because just the concept of war and how yeah. it's visualized in the U.S. has changed drastically from the 50s until now. And I mean, oh, yeah. this is just one of the great things about comics is having that like visual history, like that cultural history mm-hmm. and being able to see how not only comics have changed, but how we have changed as a culture. Because, yeah. I mean, like, after Korea and Vietnam, especially, like, the concept of war has changed mm-hmm. so much in our ideology. And then when 9-11 happened, yeah. that initial fervor of wanting to go back in, how that slowly decreased, I'd really be fascinating to see just, like, the growth yeah. of this yeah. comic and that perception. I mean, how, how do you get hold of this? I mean, where, what's the outlet for this? Did you know how you get your hands on this comic? Yeah. Not the book, but the, if it's still going, right. is it is it just a sort of internal thing? In, in I think the it's military? just an internal yeah. thing. And I don't know if it's made it... Like, I don't think it's certainly something that's accessible to a public market uh like first hand. I would probably I would imagine second hand. You could yeah. probably find some um then what kind of stories are you telling if you know you're going to aim for an isolated audience? You're not having to deal with public perception if you're just giving this directly mm-hmm. as a direct market to the soldiers. Yeah. I'm very fascinated with those kind of stories now. Yeah, absolutely. Well there I I've given you your dissertation idea, yes! Rachel. There we go. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. If you could get some of that research, I'd be keen to see how it's developed as well. You know, it would be really mm-hmm. interesting, and if it has that same sort of verve to it, yeah. I mean, probably not. Bill Eisner's no longer creating it, so I find it hard to believe. But how the concept has sort of changed, and the sort of 
treatment of it. Um, just because he fought so hard on a number of fronts against people who didn't feel like this was useful. Um, you know, I think because he believed in the art and he believed in the soldiers. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a good question. I would like to know whose hands it's in now and sort of how that's developed. Because, I mean, it's been, don't make me math, but it has been going for several decades after he quit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's obviously something... Um, Get WikiLeaks on that. Yeah, we need to put <laughs> yeah. WikiLeaks. Um, Any American so, listeners, <laughs> yeah, right. point is in the right direction for this. So, uh, so the other introduction was by General uh, Peter J. Schum- Schumacher. Schumacher? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, he wrote this in 2011, and it was something that was important to him. I don't think he even overlapped with Eisner. Um, wow. Maybe when he was serving. Maybe I don't think when he was in command. Um, but it was something PS Magazine has sort of continued to make a huge impression. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I have to say, yeah, I do have that collection. So that is accessible in that format for 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 those uh, those uh, stories and. Uh, it's definitely so worth good. looking at. Yeah, great. That's a great, great choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And what about your contemporary choice? So my contemporary choice is something very, very different. Um, I chose. I couldn't pick just one issue because uh, I'm obsessed with this entire character and these, you know, entire run. But I picked um, Mother Panic, Gotham AD. Uh, she's a character out of DC's Young Animal imprint. Um, so she was kind of the concept was created by. Uh, Gerard Way, um, and in part, Tommy Lee Edwards. And then they tapped uh, Jody Hauser uh, to sort of flesh the character out, mm-hmm. write her out. Um, Gotham AD takes place... Uh, so for those unfamiliar, um, Young Animal, imprint of DC, uh, Mother Panic is their only original character, I think. It was when she was created. I don't know if that continues to hold true. Um, they rebooted another, a couple other sort of um, characters and teams like Doom Patrol. uh, And they're having a lot of fun. This young animal is sort of um, projected towards a more mature audience. Uh, But they they did this fantastic crossover called The Milk Wars, which has some of my favorite covers. Uh, Superman is the Milkman is just on point. Um, (laughs) But so the fallout of the Milk Wars, and I don't want to sort of uh, ruin this for anybody who hasn't read it, some strange things happen. Um, And where that ends Mother Panic, who's kind of this Batman corollary. I mean, she, she's not that kind of Catherine Kane, Batwoman sort of corollary, but she's almost his exact opposite. Uh, White suit, um, she still has the pointy ears, but they're sort of pointed backwards. Uh, she doesn't have the same, I would say, moral compunctions as Batman. Um, but in Gotham AD, she ends up in a Gotham without a Batman, uh, which has been it's it's been done before. Uh, but I just think they br- they bring this kind of verve to the story. Um, and so Gotham AD, Jody Hauser is still writing. Ibrahim uh, Mustafa is doing um, the art. Uh, let's see. Jordan Boyd, Marissa Louise, our colorist, uh, John Workman's letter. Uh, Tommy Lee Edwards is still kind of dipping his fingers in with the cover and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it because they there was a there was a part of Mother Panic where they sort of made her costume a little bit. Oh, for lack of a better word, sexier. Uh, and originally it was kind of this like boxy yet yeah, elegant. The, yeah, the, bo- the the original design is pretty cool design. <laughs> it is it is just like Yeah. Um and so they kind of returned to that. And so uh Mother Panic ends up in a Gotham without Batman. Everything changed. Um sort of trying to summarize a lot without giving too many spoilers because this has become my like proselytizing comic. I sort of force it on everybody that I meet. Um, but she ends up in this Gotham. Um, she has this sort of like Damien Wayne-esque sidekick um, who's like very small, very cute, very bloodthirsty, um, phonetic fox. And uh, Poison Ivy and Catwoman have taken over Robinson Park and turned it into this, like, sort of utopia, um, 
and gosh, what? Oh, the Joker. The Joker portrayal in this might be one of my favorite of all time. Um, he is sort of one of the only ones who still really remembers Batman, still reflects it, is still very connected to him. It seems like everybody else is kind of scattered and we're existing in this sort of um, concrete absence of Batman. Like it's, he, he is still obviously, everything is built around sort of a Batman shaped hole. Um, but the Joker is, he is sort of this like sad clown. He, oh, it's just the, it's just a per- like a perfect portrayal, I think, of um, their relationship. He builds guns out of balloons, and it's kind of this sort of pathetic pathos that really harkens back to that original um, Joker that was so scary, even when Batman was kind of like a little bit dorky. Oh, Adam uh, West era Batman? Oh, no, I mean oh. like like OG, like Bob Kane, Ooh. Bill Finger, Batman's mm-hmm. checking his watch to make sure he like get, is on time for his rendezvous with the criminal. Um, <laughs> and then they just like throw out the Joker that is so terrifying. Um, oh, I'm going to go blank. He's based off of this character in a silent film. Um you talked about it in the class. Yeah. Gah! Anyways, moving on. <laughs> um, just just Google Joker history; it'll come up. Um, but the the way they sort of conceptualize the panels and um, sort of the difference between the world she remembers and this world she's yeah. encountering. Yeah. Um, actually, I'll show y'all this mm. panel. Um, yeah, the backdrop yeah. is where she is. Right, and, and yeah, yeah the, the, the color holds are really nicely done as well in, in, in there. And I'm, I'm actually going through some of the pages on, on screen here through, through Comixology, yeah. and um, <sighs> that it is pretty inventive, and especially, yeah, like you say, when there's, there's this sort of uh, the, the sort of memories of you know uh, how they're displayed are quite interesting, and the mm-hmm. way that the line work can change, and you know, it's pretty inventive I think and then there's, there's some really nice art and it, it definitely does have that uh, heavy influence from the original creator within the in- internal pages yeah, it's definitely exactly. there mm-hmm. but it, but then it brings something new you know to, to pass the colors are also very very good oh, as well. yes. oh, it's fantastic um, it's I think one of the strengths and what I really love about this comic is I feel like on so many levels it's just very smart about the continuity that it's working within. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Batman. I will probably always love Batman. I know there is, you know, there is sort of a feeling that I think has merit that Batman, like Superman, say, is talked about too much. It's like, let's, mm-hmm. let's share the love and the study and the accolades to other equally, you know, sort of fantastic characters and pieces of art. Um, and I think what they did with Mother Panic really takes the sort of bat family empire, this sort of um, hero that is almost sort of unable to be captured um, and shows what we can do with it in a new age. Because uh, I feel like comics are sort of at a point where there's there's another movement, there's more exploration going on about, mm-hmm. okay, how can we continue to make this dynamic? How can we continue to push boundaries? Um, and having a character like Mother Panic that is obviously so deeply influenced by Batman, but not a technical part of the Bat family, um, allows them to sort of play in the continuity in a way that I think sometimes the continuity itself can limit. Um, and I love that kind of play. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. I think it, it, it does feel fresh. It feels new. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of, you know, uh, retreading of old you know, Batman, you know, mythology and trying to put a new spin on it. But this mm-hmm. actually feels genuinely original. Yeah. You know, I've actually just found the image of uh, of uh, Joker with the balloon guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a brilliant image. But, um, <laughs> but it is, it's really inventive and it, and it, it feels new. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like, because apart from the Joker and apart from some of the symbolism and some of the silhouettes, that hark back to to, to mm-hmm. Batman. It, it, the Joker's really o- the only visual reference that's, that's similar, you know, yeah. from what I can see anyway. Yeah, I mean, they do, <laughs> bless his heart, they do bring in Jason Todd. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. As, like, 
he, shocking to all of our listeners, has lost his mind <gasps> um, and has sort of started this uh, army of Robins. Um, and there's, he, but he also has like a replacement Joker, which is terrifying. It's a small child Joker, and I'm not here oh. for it. I don't do that in horror films. I don't do that in comics. <laughs> terrifying small children. Like, keep them precious and cute, please. Uh, but, and again, his treatment at the end of this kind of harkens back to that same, actually, the pathos with the Joker. It's treated with such thought and care and, like, emotional depth that you think, all I'll say is that you think he's an enemy. Um, and this comic manages to teach you a whole lot about the people that you think are against you um, and really being conscious of where they came from and why they have the behaviors they have today, mm. um, which I think is so important. And Rachel can back me up on this, especially in the States. We're having a huge problem with um, people who I don't think are bad people, but are espousing beliefs that beliefs that I think are are wrong or damaging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a comic that can really look at okay, what leads to this type of behavior, and how do we fix problems at the source to sort of you know live in our happy utopia of everybody accepting each other. Uh, and I think this comic manages to explore that while also like having some truly excellent fight scenes. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it's it's quite subtly done. It doesn't, it's not preaching to the audience. Exactly. You know, that, that's what's really interesting because, you know, visually certainly, you know, it, it doesn't look like it would do it go anywhere near that, go into that at mm-hmm. all. But some of the themes, obviously, yeah, they do cross over and that's incredibly clever, you know, mm-hmm. as a, as a piece of work and, uh, that that whole range as well, I I feel the whole um, that that whole you know um, line of, of comics yeah. has, has, has been a bit underrated. I think actually, you know, I, think I it, agree. Um, and just so so we know, is it is it ongoing? Is it wrapped up now? Um, I, my understanding is that the current moment, so Gotham AD wrapped up in August of two thousand eighteen, um, and I don't know what the continued plans are. Um, I hope that it is Mother Panic forever. <laughs> uh, just give her her own spinoff series. It's fine. I'll read everything. Um, but I don't, I don't, I think it's kind of in limbo right now. Um, and I hope somebody will comment and tell me that I'm wrong. <laughs> but as of, as of now, there's just the original run um, and then the uh, Gotham AD run that was March to August of 2018. If I could just out myself, I am someone that suffers from Batman fatigue. Don't get me wrong, I grew up on the animated series. I loved Batman growing up, but especially after the Nolan films, I was just, there was such a heavy contingency in the comics community, just like so Batman, so aggressively all Batman, like the ideal man, all of this. I just became completely zoned out. But reading stuff like Mother Panic, which I had the pleasure of you introducing me to in this course, thank you for that. Being introduced to Mother Panic reminds me that there isn't one Batman and that there are different people's Batmans and seeing something like Mother Panic reminds me again of that sense of community and where comics can go, what you can do with a history and a brand and an icon and mm-hmm. how that can speak to current times yeah. and with excellent fight scenes as well. And scary yeah. children. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, Neil Gaiman's uh, Batman Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader uh, and I know I'm talking about Batman and Neil Gaiman in one sentence, so it's like <laughs> talking about fatigue. But but what they do in those two issues to talk about why Batman is so resonant and so important, I feel like touches this vein that's oftentimes forgotten mm. when sort of Batman's talked about. And like any superhero, there have been highs, there have been lows, there have been sort of like middling um and i think sometimes what i like about this is it i think it still touches that heart of what makes batman so powerful mm-hmm. while giving us something new something yeah, fresh it just yeah. feels, it doesn't feel like a batman book yeah that's exactly. what's interesting for me anyway and i'm coming mm-hmm. to 
cold. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, if I'm being honest, you know. Um, but it doesn't feel, you know, that it's in that world, but it is, you know, which is really interesting to me. You know? Exactly. So. You can, well, and the thing is, you can come to it cold. You can have never read a Batman comic in your life and still enjoy it, yeah. still love it. Um, and if you have, you can be, you can sort of pick out these little yeah. Easter eggs um, and it's fantastic. And I also, I, I personally have to shout out, um, she is a queer woman, which mm-hmm. I appreciate seeing in comics a whole lot. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, a little bit of little bit of representation in there, which I appreciate. Uh, but it, I think it sort of opens doors to new comics readers mm. um, in a way that's very smart, but also is still holding the hand of of tradition and you know comics readers who have been in it for decades. It's sort of I love to see that open door of an access point for so many people, mm-hmm. um, which is quite rare. To, 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 to cross over yeah. and, and to both to, to please both audiences if you want exactly it's exactly. actually a, it's a tough one to pull off because you could go in with those intentions but it's very rare that that works you, you know but yeah. this actually seems to have got the balance just about right I think so nicely I'm honestly biased I love it <laughs> <laughs> I agree it's a good recommendation and actually, you know, I, I, I'm I want to pick this up as a, as a collection from what I've seen today. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really appeals to me, you know, <laughs> um, without really knowing much about it when we came into it, you know, and reacting to what's in front of me yeah. uh, today. But I do like what I see and uh, and uh, be interesting um, to see if they continue the character on. I really hope so. You know. um, and I'm, I'm happy to lend them to you. I... I have them in storage um, in Nashville, but I also repurchased copies here. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's that good that you had to have yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I forced it on uh, Megan Sinclair, yeah. um, who did that wonderful comic, Close to the Heart, uh, that if y'all haven't seen it, you absolutely need to check it out. It, I can't talk about it without tearing up, So, but it's it's a sort of a beautiful meditation, and, and her love of Batman really shines through in that Um as a way to deal with grief. And so that being said, uh, I forced her to read them. But after she's done, they're all yours. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Look forward to that. Great. Yeah. I, thanks for, the, for those choices. Two very diverse choices, actually. Oh. You probably couldn't get too further apart. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, know. Way, you know, but there you go. There's no, there's no diagrams in this of, uh, you know, of uh, machinery. That, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, you know. Maybe when they, hopefully they'll bring it back with the machinery as well. Like, I would love Mother Panic to teach me how to put together a blender. That's what I'm missing in comics. Actually, there is, there is a tech element that is a bit of a spoiler, so I'm not going to talk about it, but it, it could cross, there could be a PS magazine for, uh, like, oh, operating the bat suit. Her suit is high tech, <gasps> guys. Guys, all right, we're gonna get okay, somebody, we're, here. we're gonna get one of the creators we know. Get an MDES student, Phil. We're co-opting one of your yeah, kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're gonna see something break interesting. That, break that apart. That outfit. That outfit. I have to say again, it is a fantastic design. Oh my gosh. Um, quite unique, I would say. You know, so the yeah, there's, there's work to be done there. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> we could we could do something there. I'm not gonna lie. That's the reason I bought the first collection. <laughs> the costume costume. costumes do make a superhero like we're setting this in our module like an outfit like comics is the one medium where you can't judge a book by its cover Hmm. like you're supposed to judge a book by its cover you're supposed to judge a person by their outfit exactly who they are it's iconic Mm -hmm. right there it is it's definitely iconic and if you're not aware of that do do, this do a search for for the character and uh and have a look at that that design because it is beautifully designed beautiful design comic actually yeah yeah. Mm Great, thanks for that. And yeah, we're going to move pleasure. on to Rachel's choices now. Yes. So, to stay in the DC family, mm-hmm. for my classic comic, I have Superman versus Muhammad Ali. It originally came out in 1978, though there is a 30-year anniversary edition that I have with me. Uh, it comes from a dynamic duo, in a sense, Dennis O'Neill and Neil Adams, who've done like so much great work with Green Lantern and Green Arrow for DC Comics during the Bronze Age of American comics. And you have two iconic Americans, Superman and Muhammad Ali. So naturally, I got this book in Malta. <laughs> As you do. Is that the Malta Comic Con? No, well, it was the comic shop. All oh, right, but there is a big Comic Con in Malta. Actually. I heard about that. Yeah. Yes. No. Field trip. We'll be forced <laughs> to Dundee. Yeah, field trip. It's usually in the start of December, I think. I don't know what it is this year. But, you know. 
I mean, if I have to go, I mean, if you're twisting my arm still, I guess I can I've attend. Been, yeah. I've never been to it, but I've heard good things about it. You obviously have to do a research trip. Yeah. Naturally. Obviously. After our program ends, December 2019. <laughs> Anywho. Oh, 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 Super Hamon Ali. So, yes, this book came out in 1978. Um, so... Neil Adams, he was speaking in his forward about how he got the idea of working with wanting to use Muhammad Ali, who was the world heavyweight champion the year prior and the year after this book was published, incidentally, in 1978. He was not the world heavyweight champion. (laughs) Anyway, and so he got permission from Muhammad Ali in 1978. Pass this around. And the basic story is that these aliens, the Star Warriors, they're hearing that the... Um, Earth is a military threat they're concerned about. So they come and they want to challenge the world's greatest champion. And they don't know whether it's Muhammad Ali or Superman. And so the two of them have to fight each other to determine who is going to save the Earth in this intergalactic kind of WWE smackdown, in a sense. And so you see, prior to that, the Muhammad Ali and Superman, they meet in New York City in Harlem. And to see, like, a character like Superman, like, he saves the world, but you never see him save the ghetto. Mm. So, like, to see him in Harlem in the 70s as um, Clark, and then him meeting Muhammad Ali, who's just out there playing basketball with the kids. Like, even though he's this big celebrity in the States, he's out there playing with children. And yet the two of them interacting and then having to work together to find a solution. This isn't just Superman. This isn't just Muhammad Ali. It is a beautiful marriage of these two icons working together. And it's just so rewarding because in 1978, it's very easy to see Muhammad Ali as an American hero now, given his amazing career. But in 1978, Muhammad Ali had an FBI file. He was a part of the Nation of Islam. He chose not to serve in the um, war in Vietnam until he was called to court. He had to defend himself. He was very divisive in the American consciousness. People protested him. There were death threats against Muhammad Ali. And so to see O'Neill and Adams want to do a comic about this man because they knew what he meant to black Americans at that time. And even today, I grew up with Muhammad Ali poster in my dad's office. My dad loves Muhammad Ali. He still quotes his poetry. And you can that poetry, which you will see in the comic itself. Mm. It's just so inspiring just to see that Muhammad Ali is equal to Superman, that our history is heroic as a person of color. It's just inspired from 1978 to have that kind of vision because we're talking about diversity in comics now, and thank God we're having that. But in 1978, this was not a given by any stretch of the imagination. And it captures just, it flushes out Muhammad Ali so much. He's not just a great athlete. He's a poet. He cares about his community. He's not willing to back down. And I don't want to give away who wins the fight, but everybody comes out a winner reading this book, (laughs) including you. Well, I mean, what's actually also interesting about it is the format of it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's an oversized, it was originally a treasury size yes. uh, publication. Uh, this this uh, version we've got is, is recolored, a recolored version mm-hmm. in this collection. But yeah, I mean, the, the, the book, uh, well, the comic originally really benefits from that oversized pages, mm-hmm. you know, because it gives it the room to... To, to breathe and there's actually quite a lot of panels on the page and then yes. and it also splits out on the page some of the pages as well where you know, the fight scenes are very dynamic as you'd expect from you know Neil Adams work absolutely just like to be able to first of all to have a comic worthy to be this big DC realizes how important a comic is and to have Muhammad Ali no less be this way to have a black like folk hero this big is so inspiring but just the detailing of the line work it's some of the best action scenes i've ever seen in a comic you're just seeing the motion lines you can see like with transitions how it's hitting one person or another whether it's superman or muhammad ali you're just you feel the kinetic energy yeah and to just have like so many different fights like action poses in a single panel that's very tricky to pull off it can be very confusing but this format just does it so beautifully and in between fight scenes, you get, like, the sense of the scope of the audience, as you were saying. Or when you see somebody in a stretcher or the spaceships. Like, you get a sense of how big this is. Mm-hmm. And the formatting just perfectly matches that. Did you, uh, have you got, did you say you've got the original of this as well? No, I only not? have yeah, the 30th yeah, anniversary yeah. from Malta. Is it, I have, <laughs> I have seen it. It does pop up at Comic Cons. I've seen quite a few uh, copies of it at San Diego yeah. and some of the collectors. I've seen the cover for sale yeah. alone, like posters of the cover because it's so iconic, yeah. signed by Neil Adams. You'll yeah. see that at certain conventions because it's one of the most iconic covers, I think, ever from DC. If you look around, you'll see different celebrities from 1978 mixed in with like Wonder Woman and Batman 
Batman and all of these other heroes. Yeah, and the back cover is actually, um, there's a guide inside the book uh, to, to see if you could spot the celebrities. Now, I'm a bit of a disadvantage here, being from Scotland. I actually don't think I can name any of these, to be honest, uh, uh, just having a look at them. But there's a handy guide on the inside of the of the book mm-hmm. that gives you a guide to who the celebrities are. Um, you know, to be honest with you, there's, there's actually quite a lot of um, of the artists in there. Yeah, <laughs> the artists, you know? yeah. Uh, I think that's Bill Gaines, right near your farm. Like we have oh, yeah, different yeah. comic yeah. creators as well mixed in with like Cher yeah, is yeah. in there. Oh and there is, a, there is actually a Dundee connection. I've just noticed uh, Angelo Dundee oh. <laughs> <laughs> is in there yeah. somewhere. So there you go. It always comes back to Dundee. But yeah, there's, there's, a, the, there's, a, there's a fun game to be had there if you've got the time or the energy, yeah. uh, or if you know your American celebrities from the 70s yeah. you know, or comic creators mm-hmm. so that's a nice nice interactive touch you know mm-hmm. uh, on the book so yeah I mean um, there was there was quite a few uh, treasury editions around this time and mm-hmm. uh, they usually you know kept them for sort of special uh, events you know yeah. uh, or you know um, one-off uh, pieces but it's a, it's a kind of it's a shame that more American comics weren't in this format mm-hmm. because Obviously, our comic size, comic page page sizes in the UK, were always a bit bigger than the standard American mm-hmm. size, and it, I don't feel that sometimes the American comic pages really gave the art room to you know to breathe. When yes. when I was, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a child of the seventies, but, but, but the work that I was picking up by Neil Adams was his Batman run, so that was really that was my Batman growing up. Actually, was his comic. Uh, version of of Batman and uh, I I loved his run on that on that comic and in fact I recently picked up some of those copies from the 70s where he revisits Batman's origins there's a great sequence in there where you know for me I was coming at it the first time around we go back to Batman again (laughs) (laughs) but but, but for me Neil Adams was an iconic um, Batman illustrator actually not so much Superman you know, mm. not, certainly not in the, in, in the 70s so it's quite interesting to see his take on it and uh, and, and how he's and also how he's uh, how he's interpreted Muhammad Ali because he yes. does sort of turn him into a, a superhero you know yeah. facially obviously physically because he's a boxer but mm-hmm. he, he is a you know he has exaggerated his, uh, his physique a little bit for the comic. Which I'm sure Muhammad Ali had no problem with. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he had no problem with. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a superhero comic. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a kind of dry, you know, uh, you know, semi, you know, autobiographical, you know, yes. comic. I mean, it's pretty far from that. But, I, I actually even like the way they've turned his name into a kind of superhero yes. sort of logo as well on the cover. Mm-hmm. But again, to have someone as divisive as Muhammad Ali at that time period be worthy enough to have a logo, to be drawn the same way as Superman, that has significance. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. They didn't have to do this. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali was very divisive. There are people who were not buying this issue in 1978. Muhammad Ali was hated by quite a few communities. Mm-hmm. So to have him be worthy of being an icon... Mm-hmm. It's still very impactful. My dad is visiting me right now in Dundee. He saw this on my comic shelf, and he was just sitting there reading on my bed, coming all the way from the U.S., just reading this and, like, staying, like, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, one of the poems from Muhammad Ali. And just, like, decades later, this still touches my dad. Mm. Yeah. It's, this is very important. I mean, actually, you know, I mean, it did, you know, I was aware of it, you know, when I was, when I, when I was a kid in the 70s, because it was advertised quite heavily in, in the in the other DC comics, you know, yeah. uh, so I was aware of it, but I actually couldn't get hold of it in mm. in the seventies in the UK because the treasury size didn't really seem to export. Mm. They didn't seem to export that size. Uh, at least I wasn't aware of it. I don't know if yeah. any of our listeners in the UK managed to pick that the original one up. Uh, certainly, you can get your hands on it now, but at the time, it was just like an advert we saw for it. Oh, and it was quite intriguing as a kid yeah. to see that because obviously. He was a big name worldwide, yes. you know, so we were very aware of him in the UK. Um, and to see this this uh, this uh, team up, you know, mm-hmm. uh, was quite intriguing as a child, but completely inaccessible. In fact, we had a, a massive problem with that uh, in the UK generally when with American comics and the distribution of them and what you could get and what you couldn't get. Mm-hmm. So these type of event comics, if you want, took on a kind of life of their own. They were unobtainable. You know, and, and that made it more desirable. You know? <laughs> right. Um, so it's great to see that it's accessible. Now, by the time, you know, we couldn't really get our hands on that. 
No, I'm sorry to hear that for you as a child, but I can't help but wonder in 1978, as a young black boy, what would it have been like to be able to get like the original of this, to see this in oh, a yeah, comic yeah, stand yeah, yeah. as like a young black child, to see Muhammad Ali and Superman, who is like in a lot of ways the American icon. He's mm-hmm. so much seen as that, to see the two of them together like that. I would just love to know someone's like first reaction as a child, just to be able to see like yourself represented in a comic. Because yeah. we have those discussions nowadays, but... It was an issue, and it's still an issue for a reason. Mm. It matters to see yourself in a comic. You were talking about Mm. Mother Panic and how you love seeing a queer woman in a comic. Mm. Yeah. Well, and it it makes a huge impact, because I think especially comic, especially superhero comics, have played such a role, you know, from children to adults. Like, Mm. we're all beyond the comics are just for children thing. Uh, Yeah, Bill Moore. (laughs) And for so many people... Of so many different identities, uh, I think comics have this ability to sort of hit home to a, like a special secret part of one's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and to I think to deny that sort of special pleasure to anybody uh, is crazy. Mm-hmm. But I love these moments where it's like you can just sort of imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it's ahead of its time then. You know, really, you know, uh, if you look at the the landscape of, of comics or American comics at that time, would you say it was mm-hmm. well ahead of its time? Absolutely. Yeah. Well ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it still holds up. The plot is still so engaging. And even the villains is so fascinating. These Star Warriors who never appear anywhere else, you later find out it's the Emperor who's been spreading this false propaganda about how aggressive the military is. You can sign to see correlations between, like, the use of the institution and, like, mm-hmm. having a figurehead spreading this false news. Hi, <laughs> contemporary U.S. Hello. Heading <laughs> <laughs> a little close to home there, but it's fine. A little bit of politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rachel, Rachel and I are like the America duo in class. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're not the sole Americans in this program, but we're kind of like, yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> That's okay. We're an international cohort. So it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, especially in superheroes with oh, Chris gosh. Murray. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of it, we're talking. We just talked about the fifties, and we were like, Rrr. "Yeah, that was a great time in American history." Yay, McCarthy! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so great that it's been like extensively retconned out of the superhero continuity. Oh, it's so funny how many superheroes had their nineteen fifty stories completely like retconned it to being like, "Oh, it was someone else disguised as them." Captain America would never burn someone in a building <laughs> to death. What? So no. a, whole, a whole decade's gone, you know, of course. Yes, yeah. <laughs> wow. And yet you won't have to retcon a story like this. And I feel like yeah. I never grew up a Superman person, but Superman is so humanized here, just in how he's willing to let himself, he's willing to elevate Muhammad Ali and the stakes that are involved. And seeing Superman be weak just makes him a stronger character. What, what's also interesting about it is that it isn't just a, it's not like a realistic story you know they've not just <laughs> dropped you know what the Star Warriors yeah no, exactly the and that, but that's quite that, that's that's quite um, ambitious and, and, and challenging you mm-hmm. know to, to do that and not what you would have expected yeah do, do you know what I mean it, it, mm-hmm. I, I thought at the time it would have played out I mean the cover doesn't really give much away because mm-hmm. it looks like it's just a straight kind of boxing bout but yeah. you know you've got these this other element that you know could easily be in just the standard superman you know yeah. uh comic at the time and and actually some of the design work and i uh, going through the the, the collect the, the collection here uh again was pretty ahead of its time the the tech you know mm-hmm. is really quite sophisticated in the spaceships and the you know the the, the, the costumes and, yeah. and and it gives it that uh a much more of a fantasy element than than, than i was expecting you mm-hmm. know uh, i don't know if you'd agree with that i do even the portrayal of the other aliens because you have the evil emperor but once they realize the mistake that he's made they try to make amends they completely throw off their monarchy and are like no this isn't okay and they help super Superman, Muhammad Ali. So just because you have one bad leader or vocal piece doesn't mean everybody else. That's still pretty, like, you know, advanced for the 1970s. Because, again, we were looking at 1950s and, like, every person who's Russian or Chinese are clearly a communist that's trying to take over the U.S. There has been that blanketing of identity groups. But that's not happening in this comic. They're very aware just of how identity is and isn't Hmm. a person. What with Muhammad Ali and the aliens. Yeah. No, it's, you know, again, it's another 
great choice and definitely one to, to and, and, and search out the original as well because mm-hmm. I have a feeling I, I personally prefer the colouring in the original mm-hmm. one but that's just sometimes when you digitally enhance it there's a, a, a tendency to over render mm-hmm. just because you can yeah but obviously from you know in the 70s it was a different process it was a much flatter color and there's something to be said for that you know sure. as well both versions are great but my preference probably if, if we recommend it is to try and track down the, the original format well, I guess we have to fight now Phil Superman versus Muhammad Ali <laughs> Phil versus Rachel I mean I'll bring in my copy and you can have a look at it and <laughs> yeah. see what you think so, so great okay well, thanks uh, and uh, your contemporary choice my contemporary choice is from 2016 it's by Maria Stoyan my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that but it's taken as a compliment it was published by Singing Dragon and This comic is fascinating in that Maria asked people on Tumblr or her website, please tell me about these stories of sexual assault that you've experienced. And these people, uh, hundreds of people submitted to her and she selected 20 stories to illustrate. So she's illustrating other people's experiences, what with catcalling all the way to domestic violence and rape. And he passes around. But I just love the interplay of how this is contemporary comics, the fact that creators are no longer just in their studio, but they're reaching out to their audience. And there's an interplay here. I mean, her name is on the cover, but you could argue that there are 20 other authors as well to this. And this use of nonfiction, like autobiographical comics to talk about something that's very taboo. And yet the way that it's visualized, each story is visualized in a different way from coloring to style to panel layout. And it's giving an individual voice to these hard stories. And it's presenting them in a way that isn't disrespectful, but allowing people to have their individuality, have their truths presented. It's very impactful to have those stories. And the artwork alone, the interplay with the coloring and the graphics, it's a visually stunning collection. Mm -hmm. It's it's one multiple awards i think uh, mm-hmm. but, you know it came out it was uh, i uh, visibly i i saw it every everywhere when it came out it's very distinctive mm-hmm. the, the look and feel of it. even the cover the, oh has yes. that kind of it has a, a a brilliant finish on the cover a reflective like yeah, yeah foil yeah. finish yeah. which really makes it stand out but then when you get in, in into the interior into you know every single like you say every single story has that distinctive look and feel that kind of mirrors the, the the content or you know yeah. uh, of, of the story and it's an incredibly challenging piece of work as well you know yes uh, and and probably very difficult one uh, to curate as well you know <laughs> so yeah i mean it's but so. this is what comics can do i mm. feel like this is a great representation of what 21st century comics are right now with kickstarters with diverse comics you know, this is what everybody can be in a comic nowadays. You don't necessarily have to be the world heavyweight champion from 1978 to come to 2016. Mm-hmm. And even parts of you that aren't comfortable to have this catharsis and then to be able to share that with other people from around the world, because, of course, this also came from Malta. Apparently, that's just where I get my comics now. <laughs> but <laughs> I thought Dundee was the home of comics, but well, it sounds well, like it's Malta. Yeah. So, you know. Dundee versus Malta. We'll just keep putting that versus right. title there. But Yeah, versus series. <laughs> No, but I found this collection very moving, just the types of people who were there, too, because probably story number 20 was the most shocking to me because it was about a young man talking about how he was in a relationship with a woman, how she raped him and the domestic Mm -hmm. violence there. And statistically speaking, women are more sexually violated. So you kind of get a sense why there are more stories like that. You don't often see the male perspective. And yet it's important to portray that, the like fight against toxic masculinity, to give men their own voices in this kind of way and to have them have their own portrayals. Mm-hmm. And it, interesting that, you know, we are talking about the different styles mm-hmm. uh, within there, but it's not a realistic style at, no. at, any, at any point. Mm-hmm. But again, which is a, obviously a conscious decision. It's not because the art does change style and, you know, yeah. uh, within that, uh, but it's not, it's not going into any sort of, graphic detail or mm-hmm. or sort of realistic figure work it's all done in a way that maybe you would normally so- associate with the subject matter yes which i think is a is actually quite a clever move to to you know to to display these stories in that way in that format you know mm-hmm. um which is quite unusual and, and sometimes it, it's like oh that's 
not quite what I was expecting, you know? Right. There's an efficacy to this, I feel, by having a more cartoonish style. Mm. Because if you were doing a more realistic style, who are you to necessarily do that to another person's pain to have that? But by by making it more cartoonish, you're calling attention to the fact that this is someone else's interpretation. This isn't a direct connection. And I feel like that's the best way to handle those kinds of stories. You have to show respect for the subject matter and the lived person while also communicating that to whoever is your reader. That's a hard juggling act. Because it does raise the ethical question. And we we have to deal with ethics at the university all the time, you know. So, again, that that could have become an issue, you know, uh, likeness and Mm. that there's a whole kind of area there that is, you know, flags up kind of ethical approval, you know, that we would have to go through if we were to do something similar at the university, you know, Uh, and it's something that people often forget when they're creating work that, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're referencing real events or real people, uh, you know, you need to go, well, certainly within the university context when you're creating work, you need to go through ethical approval process, which is quite complex and complicated. Right, and you can understand why some people might shy away from doing stories like this, like yeah. the ethical matter within a you know institution, but also morally speaking, mm, who yeah, am yeah. I to represent these other people's yeah, stories? Yeah. And yet, so you don't see these kind of comics or these kind of stories being told. And you do have to, to some degree, whether you're a victim or if you're someone a part of the system, you need to be able to see this, that this needs to be discussed. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's what set this apart then for you? For you, is that you hadn't really seen anything quite like that, or was it just? I mean, how did you discover this? Again, for some reason, Malta. <laughs> I was on vacation during winter break, and I was found a comic shop, and I was just going through the shelves, and I was like, "Oh wow, this distinct gold foil cover. Let me go to the first page." And I go through the first story, and about a girl who goes on vacation in Spain too. Wow, resonance. She gets groped on a train. Oh, I did not see this coming. Mm. The next story and the next story. Because mm-hmm. there's no prelude to these stories. Yeah, it that's... doesn't give you a forward. You just go into it yeah, yeah. after the table of contents. And I was just like, what am I reading? The shock came first mm. to me. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, I bought it because I was shocked. It was the shock that resonated with me that, wow, somebody is doing this. Mm-hmm. That these people's lives, these experiences. And again, like as a woman... I've had certain, I've known people who have gone through this. I have experienced some degrees of these experiences and these stories. And just to be like, this is validated. We can discuss this. We can have this now in comics, mm-hmm. yeah. in a way. Yeah. Was really impactful to me. Yeah. Have, yeah. You, have you read this? I actually haven't read it. I'm probably going to steal it from Rachel. Please. Afterwards. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, and it's, they're important stories to be told no matter how hard they are and and different levels and different types of stories i mean mm-hmm. i you, you mentioned shock and i still get shocked by you know the environment of sexual harassment and sexual assault mm-hmm. and it's it's a reality and it's real and it's very close and i feel like some days i can't exist in that yes as my reality but then it there's a reminder that it's there and that there I feel like collections like this with art that allows the reader to come into it and to be a part of it Mm. it's not sort of divisive it's not pushing the reader out actually what's interesting about it and and, and you just made me think of it is that there's no uh, warning of the content you said you just went right Mm. into it and and that seems like a deliberate you know Mm -hmm. uh, move to make it more accessible, mm-hmm. do, do you know? Because I mean, it's there's nothing there to give you any any pointers into what the actual content is. In mm-hmm. fact, it, it it could be taken as a as a kind of kids yeah. book, you know, mm-hmm. just just by looking at the cover. And right. I'm, I'm pretty sure people have probably picked it up thinking that it is probably, you know? and you know, and and in a way. It's that whole argument of you know for mature readers that uh, used to mm-hmm. get on you know you know Vertigo books back yeah. in the day, and, and to be honest, they they seem to only put that on to to get the sales figures up, mm-hmm. you know, rather than I as a gen- rather than a yeah. genuine one. It's like you know explicit content, and and then suddenly you know mm-hmm. you get a spike in, in the sales, and this is going for the opposite of of I, I feel anyway. I mean, I might mm-hmm. be wrong, but you know that it's actually it's. You take it as as as, it, as it's seen, yeah. and and you have to deal with those contents 
as you read it, you know, yeah, do, yeah. do you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, yeah. and it's interesting. That I just wonder, you know, there's no sort of age range for us then, essentially. Mm-hmm. No. You know? And I mean, who are we to have the safety net of having like a warning, like a trigger warning when these people in their experiences weren't prepared as well? There's a sort of like, not, definitely not the same thing, but there's a way of going into this and being shocked. Who are you not to be shocked by this? Trigger warnings have their place, and I'm not going to dispute mm-hmm. that. But sometimes that cushioning and that barrier is a form of privilege. Exactly. Well, and I think it's really interesting that you bring up the age and this age mm-hmm. barrier because for so many, um, for so many young people, this comes way before they're an adult. Like mm-hmm. they don't, they don't get the privilege of being like, you know, oh, I'm gonna wait until I'm adult till I can deal with this. Um, and I think that's a really poignant part of the art to point out because, it, you know, the older I get, the more and more I look back on experiences I had when I was, like, younger and experiences friends have shared with me. And there is this point where it's like it happens too young and it's it happens to all young people in their sort of own way before they're able to sort of engage mm. with the world in an adult way. They're sort of put in these positions and taught these lessons. Um, and I think a comic like this can help sort of change those lessons. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, again, again, very diverse yeah. <laughs> choices uh, today, but, but fantastic. And again, we'll put some links up to to all the, the, the choices today on, on the Facebook page. Um, yeah. And... What else are you working on at the moment? Anything else you wanted to chat about before before we finish? I mean, we did have an interesting discussion, and I don't know how much further it's got when we had uh, Nicola Streeten up, and, uh, and, and, so and, and and again it sort of ties in with sort of what we're just talking about, and uh, and there was talk of of uh, doing something, you know, along those lines potentially. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. working with Dr. Golnar to hopefully get that yeah. coming to Dundee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because they Women's have this, Comic. Yeah, yeah. The the ladies who comics. Yeah. Thank you. As um is really exciting. We've kind of been talking about like sort of a diversity of perspectives. <laughs> um, and I love that they're sort of building this space that's open to everybody, mm-hmm. um, but helps sort of signal boost uh, female creators. Yeah. Um, and specifically, fe- I, this is an important point: female identifying creators. Yes. Because mm-hmm. um, it's, I think they did a lot of thoughtful work, and she's talked about this making sure that it was it was they weren't creating an exclusionary space Mm -hmm. um, because that certainly wasn't their intention for anyone and Mm -hmm. so i love that they're they're sort of building up um a specifically like female identifying community i think that's beautiful yeah and we should definitely bring that to dundee just because of our comics passion but also just the people that we have here we're all engaged to some degree we all care about the future of comics and where we are and supporting each other yeah so yeah. obviously Dundee is a perfect place for that. So yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. comics capital of the world. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, I'm it's gonna, official. I'm gonna throw yeah. it. There's like there there are people in so many other cities with beautiful comics cultures like <laughs> silently raging right now. Um, sorry, but Grace guys. will take you. <laughs> Grace wait, 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 wait. <laughs> uh, I know not know. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming in today and uh and uh, we'll hopefully speak again soon and uh, yeah. maybe when when uh, there's more develops and ladies do comics and, and dundee and uh, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll take it from there so, so thanks very much this thank was you. such a pleasure thank yes. you so much thank you thanks. join us next time on comic scene the podcast <laughs>